Hi, and welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. So, a little bit about me and what Behind the Wheel is all about. My name is Muhammad Ali Haji, and a few years ago, I thought I really had it all. A great job, great money, an amazing wife, and on the way to rise to the top within my field of work. However, I was fat, really fat, like huge. And soon, due to a variety of reasons, I found myself in a different role that I absolutely hated. Very quickly, I was in a very dark place, hating what I was doing each day and using food and sleep as my mechanism for escaping. It got so bad that I used to sleep until 5pm, just after my wife would come back home and I'd rush out of bed, do the dishes and pretend like I'd been up for the entire day. It's crazy how life can take a turn for the worst so quickly. I also had huge limiting beliefs, such as I had no way of finding a better job, despite my wife's continuous rambling about how I deserve better and how I could very well find something that I absolutely loved. I didn't listen, but the more I didn't listen, the more my belly began to grow. I pretty much woke up one day and realised it was time to change. And in that moment, I realised that perhaps the most easiest thing to change was my health. I joined a really good gym and the weight slowly began to drop. It was during this period that I began to also change my outlook on life. I stopped blaming the people around me. I stopped blaming my boss. I stopped blaming, blaming my wife. And I started to take real accountability for my situation and the circumstances that I found myself in. Things got better over time. And soon, I found myself in a much better shape and I finally found a better job. However, not too long ago, I found myself crying. A grown man crying himself to sleep. Rather pathetic, right? See, I always knew that I wanted to achieve so much more in life. I looked up to the greats of this world, like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs to Muhammad Ali and Bill Gates. People who had achieved so much. See, before, I just told myself that they were lucky, that the stars just aligned for them. And I really had no chance of even creating, as Steve Jobs famously said, my own dent in the universe. I always had a huge passion for cars, and I wasn't doing anything about it. Day by day, week by week, I just went to bed thinking, what if? And then shrugged it off. But in that moment, when you're on your bed, your pillow wet with tears of regret, with a bit of embarrassment, I made a decision. That decision was to create something that is based on my passion for cars, as well as my desire to ensure that nobody goes through what I've been through. Here's where I stand. We only have one life. Behind the Wheel seeks to unite those who want to live a life of purpose, passion, meaning and service through our common and shared love for cars that push the boundaries of speed, luxury and performance. Through this podcast, you will hear from people who work and or own with some of the most phenomenal cars on the face of this earth to hear from them how they got to where they are and share in our joint fascination for cars that push the boundaries of what is possible. I am delighted to welcome Ali Purvai. Ali, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really, really pleased to be here. So, we're very happy. This, this, this is going to be a bit different uh, because I, when I first met you, I was just struck by um, 
someone who has a huge, huge interest in cars. I mean, you've had some crazy car stories. You've got friends who own really nice cars. Your car journey is going to, which we will go into, um, is really interesting. Uh, but I want to kick things off by going into cars and where all that interest came from. What's your earliest car memory? So it's funny you say that because I was thinking about it just the other day, actually. And uh, there was a there was a scene that I saw on on a TV program um, about a kid that was in the lap of the parent um, whilst they were whilst they were driving their car and. You know, I mean, this takes us back to, I'm, I'm you know, born in the late 70s, so it takes us back to maybe when I was about four or five years old. So you're talking about early 80s, probably around the time where people still didn't wear seatbelts. There was none of this, you know, being on the phone whilst you're driving and any of that kind of stuff. And when we used to come back, um, obviously, to the mosque all the time. We used to live near the mosque with Papa and grandparents and all the rest of it. And whenever we used to come home, I remember the turning that we used to take towards our house. And there was a moment at which my mom would get me out of the back seat and she put me into my dad's lap and yeah. I would sit in his lap and literally put my hands on the steering wheel ever so slightly and we would just do the rest of the journey really, really slowly home. Um, and the funny thing is I never realised that that's where it came from. I always thought it was the fact that dad was always in the car trade, therefore you always saw cars and all the rest of it, but I'm the only sibling out of three that has this real level of love for it and and so I tried to figure out what it was and you know and I realized that that was a memory because I'd always put it down to the, the the car element but weirdly enough when I assessed it a little bit more I guess a little bit more in depth in my mind as to why it was that memory that it's a moment in time between a father and son and there was a there, it, it brought us together in that in that moment you know in, in a generation where fathers and sons didn't necessarily have Relationships in that sense, so true, yeah. talk to each other, you didn't talk about how you felt and stuff like that. And it took me, you know, it took me to this age to realise that that's where that kind of that's where that love came from. And it wasn't just about the cars; it was what the cars were associated with. You know, and yeah. as, a, as a kid of that age, you're you're the person you look up to the most, the person who you want to be like is 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 that person. Um, and so that's where I think it actually came from. Those are my earliest memories of cars, and then I was always watching. You know, which car's coming next? What do I get to drive next? And all the rest of it. And, you know, and the times where life changed and you realise that you weren't doing that anymore. As a kid, you were upset. You didn't understand why. But obviously, laws changed. Legal things changed. You couldn't really just do what you wanted anymore. But that's, yeah, long way of saying that that's where my... But you forced me to look into myself and find out where I came from, which I'd never really done before. So It's, it's funny, you mentioned, because I remember, I remember having that experience as well. And I remember thinking... Because because I, I, I saw my brothers doing it. Like when they, you know, you get to a certain age where your parents say we, they can do certain things. And for me, I used to watch my brothers get to a certain age where I would see them go on dad's lap and drive the steering wheel. And I used to think one day, one day that'll be me. And then one day I was picked. And the, 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 the immense joy of like sitting there. And, and, and you're right. Because I think, I think in our culture, you know, um, certainly that, that bond is, 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 different with our dads i mean it's it's more of a it's, it's more of a, a, a man-on-man kind of relationship you know um i mean it's, it's they have you know they came from a different world and, and, and you know I, I won't you know not for this but i won't confess that you know dad and i had a great relationship through our lives but i guess because of that you know they, they were people who never showed emotion you never saw you know you never saw your dad crying you, know, you never saw your dad get upset about anything yeah. and there was almost this 
this feeling of, you know, you look at the stuff that we talk about today, you know, your, your, your opening segment, you know, in itself is just so, it's so admirable to me because to hear someone openly talk about what the, the, the conscious decision to change something was just so massive that because it didn't exist in our parents. And that makes it more admirable because it doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't come naturally to us to, to face a moment in time and say, do you know what? I was going through a really, really different time. And so those moments that we, we had, those, those fleeting moments with, I think, with fathers in particular, were those moments where you kind of felt like you were communicating in some way. You felt like yeah. maybe they understood yeah. you or maybe you understood them. And the reality of it is we grew up with our fathers, most of us didn't really have any understanding of each other at all because we just, because we never really communicated. It wasn't their way and subsequently it wasn't our way. It's really yeah. interesting. Um, in, in terms of growing up then, um, and, and, um, I guess, I guess you must have, um, you must have seen a, a few cars in your, in your, in your, in your years growing up and, yeah. and experiencing them. What's your, what's the, uh, what's your favorite car? Apart from obviously, you know, bit, being a kid and sitting, sitting on your on your dad's lap, what, what's, what's the most exhilarating car you've ever driven? You know, so exhilarating car I've driven. Oh, that is well, that 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 I have to say is is, is a tough one. Um, I think if I remember one of the one one of the memories of the cars that I absolutely wanted to drive and I finally got to drive was there was one car actually that I guess Dad never let me let me drive. Was he was in, he was in the car trade, so that's the only it's the only reason why I got the some of the exposure that I did. And there was a point in time you may remember where Japanese imports were, became a really massive yeah. thing. You know, the, yeah. the Supras and the Celicas and the MR2s and all that kind of stuff. And it was the first time that Nissan Skyline started to be, you know, started to be brought into the country. And what's funny about it is that Dad was doing a lot of work in that market at the time. And every so often, because I, I would go and help him at weekends and stuff, so you'd get the opportunity to drive and just move the car. But you literally, you'd move a car 200 yards. You'd move a car 300 yards. That's the best you could hope for. And when you said, you know, Dad, can I maybe have this car at the weekend? You, you, you get the Nissan Micra because, you know, there's no, there's no damage that you can do in the Micra. But I do remember the one car that Dad very, very reluctantly, I mean, he literally never let me touch. It was probably one of the most exhilarating. It was at that time, it was the Skyline, the R32 version. Blimey. And it was... I mean, it was it was a car that he drove himself that he felt was so fierce that he just said to me, he said that this is this is just a car that I'm not comfortable with you touch. And even that car, I was only allowed to drive it with him in the passenger seat. Never got to drive it alone. Um, with some of my car history, I don't blame him for that. But that at that time, I mean, it must have been when I was, I don't know, 20, 20 21 years old. Just the raw power in that car was like nothing I'd ever truly truly felt like the, the 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 feeling of the feeling of the car being at one with you was just i mean it's truly astonishing but for me it's always been about the power and the speed as well so the engine sound and the power and the speed and i think in those days it just it combined we had nothing like it in this country you know if you wanted to if you wanted to live that kind of power you had to own a porsche or a ferrari or you know or, or, or a lamborghini and stuff like that you, you didn't have that kind of power in those or you had to soup up your Celica or your Supra or your MR2 or spend you know, thousands of fast and furious pounds on this little car that you bought to make it sound like that. But this car just arrived and it was just, I, it, it was it was an absolute, absolute beast. And I, I really, really loved that car. Probably one of the most similar. Was that, was that the first car you've driven that was sort of performance? That was, that was, that was pretty, no, pretty I mean, No, I mean, I was, I was, I was lucky in that sense because I, 
when I finished, when I, well, I think probably around sort of college age or so, um, dad had dad had a showroom, and actually a lot of the cars used to come in the showroom were you know some of them were quite high performance. Um, I, I will I, I I'll make a confession now. I'll probably have to tell dad if he, before he hears this ever. But there was um, uh, there was a time I think where dad had a so it was a, actually funny enough it was a purple Ferrari Mondial three um, Mondial three point two. Which, oh, no, wait, so your, your, your dad used to deal in yeah, these yeah. exotic cars. So actually, funny enough, so most of it was, it makes it sound very exotic. It was, it was a lot of, a lot of a bit of both. So there was a lot of basic kind of, you know, obviously your, you know, your everyday kind of stuff. But he also used to do a lot of trips to Germany. So he would, in, in those days, it was cheaper to buy a car from Germany, directly from the, from the manufacturer, uh, pay the tax on the duties, and then bring the car back to the UK rather than buying from the UK main dealer. So what he would do is he had clients that he would, he had a, a relationship with um, Mercedes Benz in, um, in in Stuttgart. So he would get the spec from here from his, his customer. He would order the car. He'd then do a trip with a mate of his, um, almost yeah, almost sort of every week, every couple of weeks. So he'd take the ferry and stuff and drive the car all the way back. Um, you know, big 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 road trips. So there were times where he would end up with some really really nice cars, some brand new cars that show up. This one I think was an anomaly. Um, you know, it was it was probably one of the nicest ones that ever showed up, um, and, and I've got to say, I mean, I, I couldn't I couldn't resist it. I'm, I'm trying to figure out whether he knows to this day whether I did it or not. <laughs> um, but I, I must have been um, I, I should say 18, possibly not fully, but um, you know, cars at home, keys, keys are inside, um, and you know what? You do what kids do. You, you, you decide that look, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm not getting this chance again, so I'm I'm going for it. Um, the one thing that I remember, that the, the, the biggest memory apart from that, is it was such you know such a difficult car to drive at the best of times. Um, when you are someone who's very very new to driving, I think I must have stalled the car about seven times before I managed to even get it out. You know, me thinking I'm the cross. Oh wait, oh wait. So you actually took the car for a spin? I took the car for a spin. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I said <laughs> I'm probably going to have to tell Dad in case he ever hears this. I'm probably going to have to tell him that I did. Uh, Thank you. Oh my god! You're too old to put over his knee now. But sure, he wouldn't have it happened. See that much. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It was yeah, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful engine. I mean, just the sound of it is just un- unbelievable. Really, really lovely. crazy. That's crazy. So, what was your first car, man? So, funny enough, if so, we're talking about like my first proper car, um, and this is where it gets interesting. I always thought because of this, this, this sort of life, that maybe my first proper car would be quite kind of. Uh, would be would be quite exotic. My first actual proper car that my dad got for me was a 1.2 uh, Nissan Micra in. <laughs> I mean, I've got to say, when it arrived home, I must have appeared like the most ungrateful child in the world. You know, I went I went from from helping dad move, you know, SLs and BMWs and stuff like that around the showroom to suddenly coming home saying, "I got you a car," and I'm like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Dad, that's not really a car. You know what I mean? It's, it moves, <laughs> get that, but it's not quite how I expected my life to go, given what you do for a living. Um, and that, you know what? Like, that, that goes back to the earlier part of the conversation you were having with me, um, was that was also about values. You know, that was also about the fact that, look, it's not, um, you know, we weren't flush, so although although dad was, was dealing in, in, in certain things like this, you know, we weren't flush, we weren't wealthy, we weren't, 
it wasn't a place where dad would suddenly turn around and say, well, you know, just because we deal with clients who have these cars doesn't mean that I can suddenly put that car on, you know, on, 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 our, on our drive for my 18 year old boy. Um, but there was also an element of the value teaching in that is that look, you have to earn these things, you have to work for these things. And the expectation that just because just because your father might drive £100,000 cars for other people doesn't mean your father has the ability to provide himself or you with £100,000. Yeah. And actually, if you want it, you have to go out and work it. Um, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I hated my dad for that moment. In, in that moment, I, I mean, literally, I, I don't think I could have been more disappointed. <laughs> I think I'd, I probably tried to break everything I possibly could in that car for him to realise that he made the biggest mistake and so I never had to drive that car again. But it, it taught me, when I look back at it now, it taught me a value that I didn't have there. Um, yeah, and had he yeah. given me that car, or, an, or another car, a nicer car, you know, maybe I'd have turned into that kid who was just, you know, the ungrateful kid who was like, that's fine, you know what, I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to. And now I value what comes, because I work for it. And I know how hard it is. There's a kid you don't see. You know, as a kid, you think, oh, my dad's driving around in flash cars. It must mean that we're rolling in it. Um, but your parents always also keep you away from that side of your life. They never want you to see that things might be tough or that you, you know, that you may not have you know, that much money and, uh, and all the rest of it. But you have a slightly different walk view. But yeah, 1.2. I even remember the number plate on that 1.2 micro, which you believe. That's, that's how iconic it became for me. You know what? I, I don't know if this is a thing, but it's like, like when I think about my brothers who, who are older than me, like I'm, I'm the youngest in my family, and like they remember number plates like crazy. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's, a, if it's a generational thing, but it's like to remember the number plates of your cars was quite important back then. Oh, yeah. I couldn't remember mine for the life of me. I mean, yeah. you know. I always, I always, it's fun. I'm, I'm glad you said that your brothers are the same because I always found, I always thought that it was one of, one of my weird idiosyncrasies because I would lock on a number plate and I'd remember a number plate. And I mean, I can still, to be honest, I can still probably remember some of my friends' number plates. Um, that is crazy. It wasn't like that. And, and these are not private plates. These are, I can probably go through some of my car history and remember some of the number plates that, 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 of the cars that I had, which is weird. But it was the same with things like phone numbers. And I guess in those days, you know, technology didn't even exist. So you had to remember your friend's phone numbers. That's true. That's uh, true. I, mean, I, don't yeah. know, I have no idea why we remembered number plates. It's not like you were going to phone somebody's number plate. But, you know, <laughs> I guess it was maybe just one of those things. You had to learn things in those days in a slightly different way. So I don't know. But it is weird. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Now I don't feel like, now I don't feel like such a no, I've heard that. No, like even, even, even my mum, my mum, you know, bless her, you know, she will you know, she, she'll, she'll clock on to, to these plates. I sure remember like the first card they had from like, you know, from East Africa, I should remember the, 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 the plate that we had. You know, it's really weird. I mean, I don't quite get it. But I want to I want to get back to um, the point about, you know, values. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I don't want to stereotype and generalize, but I think that a lot of young people, certainly from what I've seen, there's, there's, a, there's an entitlement issue that I think needs to be addressed, right? And I think for, for some reason, we've fallen into this trap, and I say we very generally, in believing that, we are entitled to stuff. We are entitled to a good job, um, a, a car, a house, um, whatever it is. Um, and I suppose when I was growing up, we were taught the value of money and we're taught they could, they got to work for it. I don't know what it is, but it seems like things have changed somewhat. Now we feel like we are, we are, we deserve, you know, a, a, a nice car at the age of yeah. 18. It's really weird. Yeah, I think, do you know what, I think for me there's, there's, I mean, there's a couple of things to it when I, you know, and I, I, I thought about this quite a bit when you look at, 
with differential in generations. And there's a couple of things for me. I think when you look at our parents' generation, um, and sort of if I look at my generation as opposed to the slightly younger generation, where it definitely has become a big sense of entitlement. And I remember this a lot about some of my friends. I had a very big cross-section of friends, you know, friends who came from, you know, poorer backgrounds, friends, some friends who came from incredibly wealthy backgrounds, um, and a real cross-section mishmash. And what's interesting is I think when a lot of immigrant parents came over here, they were so focused on making sure that their children didn't have to see the struggles that they went through. And they worked so hard to do that and, and bless them for doing it because, you know, a lot of us would not have had the opportunities that we are fortunate enough to have today had it not been for the sacrifices that they made. And, you know, and I absolutely, I tip my hat to so many of them from that generation. But inadvertently, it, it almost, I'm going to use a, 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 I guess maybe a slightly older generation phrase, but it almost softened some youngsters to a degree that you kept people wrapped so much in cotton wool and wanted to keep them away from the pains and the trials and the tribulations. Like you didn't want your kid to have to be working three jobs to be able to make ends meet. But because you did it for him, you never really made it a reality to him. Like he never saw that as his reality. His reality was I am able to have this today. He didn't really, at a certain age, you don't question how hard your dad is working to provide that for you or how hard your mum is working to provide that for you. You, you just see it as a, I have this. You know, and it, it kind of almost correlates a little bit back to the, 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 the micro story is that it was the first thing that forced me to question, well, hang on a second, why, why did I only get this? Because my first, as, a, as, a, as an entitled child, my first thing was, well, hang on a second, why, why, why did I get this crappy micro? You know, you can afford all these other cars, why, why can't I? It forced me to try and understand, well, actually, no, that doesn't, this doesn't correlate with this. And I think the second thing, I think for today's generation, and I'm not a parent, so I don't, I say this with the caveat of I'm not a parent of anyone, but what I see these days was the conversation we were having around time. And I think the difficulty is that the world has become such a time poor place that parents have almost started to give children what they can and what they want from a time, time poor perspective. Um, you know, I think there is an element of it's less of an element of I didn't have it, so I want my child to have it, which is probably more prevalent in, in my growing up generation, where I saw parents kind of almost slightly overcompensating for the fact they didn't have all this stuff and they could give it to their kids yeah. and give it to them. And that creates the entitlement. But the, the difference I think today is, well, we have very little value of what you have to earn and what you don't have to earn. It's, you know, my child wants an iPad. Or, you know, or, or the little one wants an iPad. And you know what? I, I had to, I remember having to argue with my mum and dad to get my first mobile phone. You're too young to have a mobile phone. This was, you know, in this day, it would be unheard of. And I was 17, 18 by the time, 18 by the time I got my first mobile phone. Today's world is completely, completely different. And I think there's a, there's definitely a time element to that. But there is also the element of we can give it to our children, so why shouldn't we? Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not I'm not a parent, but I think I think I can I can certainly see why parents try to perhaps insulate their children so much yeah. from the realities of the world because they've been through that pain, and they 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 almost try to and it, it's it's coming out of just pure love and pure. You know, there's, there's, it's, it's not out of any kind of badness in the heart. I think, I think what's happened is that we have, 
sort of wrap them in this cotton wool because we're so scared about them going through what we've been through. And what tends to happen is, I suppose, or what could happen is you almost shield them from the realities of what of what life is about. Yeah. And I think that often comes down to also um, the career interests and the jobs that we try to tell our children is safe. Mm-hmm. You know, so we'll 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 tell our kids, you know, to to to, to be a lawyer or, or 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 a dentist or you know whatever, with the view that because because when we grew up, that's what we thought that was the the safe thing or the right thing to do, yeah. and in actuality. To what degree are we not encouraging our kids to be a bit more risky, perhaps? You know, we, 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 I guess when I say we, you know, again, it has to go back to my parents because not not having children by myself. But you do ask yourself the question, you know, and at my age now, I think to myself, it's all well and good that I could be critical of me not necessarily being able to fulfil what I believe to be my passions in those days because they weren't considered to be safe jobs or would keep you in, in gainful employment and all that kind of stuff. But I still, I also sometimes ask myself the same question, that if I had kids today, would I would I really be as free a parent to say, well, you want to be an artist, go on with it. Um, very true, yeah. But I think there has to be a sense of reality together with together with, with, with dreams as well. And, and I think, you know, I, I always used to get accused by my friends when I was younger of, of being too much of a dreamer. You know, and it's, I go back to what you said in the opening bit, which obviously I had no idea you were going to say, but that, that resonated so strongly with me because it, you took me back to a time where I remember being that kind of that young dreamer. And I used to say, do you know what? Why can't I be great? You know, why can't I be that person? Why can, why does it have to be someone else? And we lose, we lose a sense of that by tempering people because we immediately say it's better to be a lawyer than to be a, um, a car designer. Because you may never get a job as a car designer, but there'll always be jobs for lawyers. But yet, where does that, where, where's, where's the love affair? You know, how many of us actually, by virtue of those values, how many of us actually follow the love affair? But to our parents, that doesn't, I don't think that is, they feel like they've fulfilled their responsibility because so many of them, and we forget that so many of them sacrifice every single love affair that they thought they never had when, they were thrown out of their countries. They had to go somewhere and start a new life. I mean, you know, my, my dad, by all accounts, was quite a brilliant student and, um, you know, and, and wanted to study law. You know, and when he came to this country, all of that went away and he was working until, you know, 18 hours in a petrol station, you know, trying to kind of make ends meet and provide for the wow. family and doing all that kind of stuff. So, you know, they've seen tough lives. And I guess what they do know is a reality to a certain degree that we've never had to face. They know what it's like to have nothing. We may have gone through phases in our lives where we've not had what we believe to be enough. But have any of us really in our generation gone through a period in life where we can truly say we have nothing? Like we've we've come here with not even a penny in our pockets. We can't say that. We've Absolutely. always had food on the table. We've always had a roof over our heads. We've always had cars to drive around in, albeit they might have been crappy little 1.2 Nissan Micros. But, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? We've, we've, we forget those 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 things that we have been given, and I think sometimes that's where it's hard. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, I want to get back to cars because you, you've got some crazy stories, man. I mean, you've I mean you've you, you've done some some real crazy road trips, man. I mean, the one that I remember somewhat is was it in was it Spain or was it? Um, I did. Two, I haven't remember. done Spain yet. I've done two two to Italy, um, and actually two to Italy. 
three to Italy now. I've got to say, sorry, I should, I should, I should include the trip that I did when I got married because otherwise I'll be in trouble if my wife was here. Three, including the one, the trip that I did to get married. Yeah, um, re- really, just, just amazing, amazing, amazing road trip. And uh, t- tell us a little bit about, about you know, uh, about your, uh, I guess your, your, your favourite one, or just, or just a few in terms of the cars that you drove. Yeah. How was it planned? How'd you go about it? So it, it, the favourite one is, is interesting. You kind of put me in a little bit of an awkward predicament because I'm going to say <laughs> one of them I did with my wife when we when we just started when we just started dating. So I'm, you know, I'm going to have yeah. to say that that was my, my favourite one. Um, but interesting enough, look, that was the favourite one in a, in, a, in, a, in a difference because it was just before my 40th birthday, and I promised myself a that I was going to you know I was going to try if I could afford to and I'd worked hard enough then I would buy myself you know my treat to myself would be a nice car for my for my 40th. Um, and the second part of that was I really, really wanted to do a road trip. Um, and I went to a road trip through Italy. And I've always loved the roads in Italy. And, all, you know, and I love the sun. I hate the cold. So it was, you know what, you want to go and do a trip, which is, you know, wind in your hair and everything else. And Tina and I had got together about three or four months before that. And, um, and I said to her, I said, this is my plan for my 40th. And she kind of said, well, you know, it'd be really great to do it together. And, you know, you're worried. Two weeks in a car with someone when you don't really, haven't really known them for that long. But in the sense of it was my favorite trip, because we spent so much time, we cemented such a beautiful friendship and such a beautiful relationship through that period that we literally came back from that trip knowing full well that we had met the, the you know, the person who we wanted to spend the rest of our lives with. So, you know, in that respect, it was a, it was an amazing trip. You know, we did some great, um, saw some great places. We actually drove all the way down to Sicily that trip. So that was probably the wow. longest road trip that I've done in that sense because she had some friends who were going to be in Sicily for a wedding. Oh, okay. Okay. All the way down, and we stopped off in. Uh, so our first stop was in Milan. Um, I, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine who works there is a teacher, her and her husband. So we stopped there for one night, um, part with them, and then from there we drove down to um, Siena. And Siena is actually funny enough where we ended up getting married, but we've been introduced to someone who then became a friend of ours who has a who has a, a, a sort of family owned um, estate there. Um, you know, very rural, but you know, country roads. You can really, you know, where you can where you can use your paddle shifters to your heart's content. You know, where the sound of the engine is just echoing out. In, in was this your um, Was this your your M? Was M4. it your M4? Yeah. So I literally just got it. I've had it for four months, and the first thing I decided to do was literally take it on this this kind of what was this this fifteen hundred mile round road trip. That is crazy. It was it was it was fantastic. Other than the fact that you don't realise that when you you know when you got the roof down, your face gets black. When you come back, you kind of look like you've got two different complexions up here. And with my forehead being slightly larger, it literally looked like I had one of those. You know the the, the car sun ba- sunshade bands that you get. On yeah. I basically looked like I had that across my forehead when we came back. Um, but yeah, then we drove down to um, Naples. We drove all the way down to Sicily. From Sicily, we got a ferry back towards Naples. And then from Naples, we drew, drove back up through to Bologna. We stopped off in Bologna for a little while. Um, and we then drove, yeah, and then we drove back through sort of France and, and Germany and all the rest of it. So that one was, that one was amazing. Um, the first trip that I did actually went into Modena as well and went to the Ferrari Museum, which, you know, which for anyone who's not been there, it was a car enthusiast. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just like, it's, it's an, it's an art museum for car lovers. Um, for me, you know, it's just, just a really beautiful place to, to be um, and the last trip was when I got married and we did the, the boys did a road trip so this is basically my I didn't really have any desire to have what people might call the conventional kind of bachelor parties you know for me it was about cars and you know me and and, and, and two of my best friends and my brother um, happened to be fortunate enough to have cars that we wanted to take on this trip and the three of us just did this 
just the most epic, crazy. All the cars. So we had to. I was. I took mine, which is the M4. Um, yeah. My friend uh, Rax at that time had uh, the AMG GT, the um, edition one. Wow. And uh, my other friend um, Zuski, who actually, friend is more like you know more like family to me, but he has got the M3, so the 458 um, M3, uh, the last of, last of the 458. Um, wow. So the three of us, you know, we met two o'clock in the morning in Folkestone. Ready to, ready to, um, you know, take the take the ferry, and yeah, I mean that trip, and that was basically from London to Siena. We did a couple of stop offs on the way. We did it over over two two and a half days. Um, I think my wife was incredibly, incredibly relieved when I arrived in Siena in the east. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was just because that's a different kind of trip. That's just you're not driving slowly. You're not just you know, yeah. Like, you know yeah. autobahn Germany, and you are literally just. We pushed our cars probably to the absolute limits of where we could. We also pushed ourselves to the limits because you sat there thinking, you know, I think I'm courageous, but how courageous <laughs> am I? Really? You know, am I, am I, I keep saying, oh, you know, it's horrible. My car's limited to 146 miles an hour. Am I actually ever going to take the risk <laughs> I don't know. So, um, and even again, that was, you know, the road trip itself was amazing, but uh, the, bo- yeah, the bonding that you do over a trip like that. Um, but it's also, you know, Rax's car. I mean, that that's probably one of the. If I look at my new age favorite cars, you know, the AMG GT. What a machine! I mean, it's beautiful. Oh, well. It's unbelievable. The sound, the look, the stats, just yeah, stunning, stunning. I absolutely fell in love with that car. In that trip, actually. Really that's good. amazing. Yeah. And um, in terms of like logistics, planning, um, was there much effort on on that front? Or was it was it quite straightforward? No. So you know what? So I think that the funny thing about trying to do a, a road trip is. Um, I'm actually really easygoing in terms of if I'm doing a road trip. So I've done one, you know, one completely on my own, um, where I just decided to get in the car. I was just, you know, I was having a rough time, kind of being being home and being in London, and, and, and I just wanted to get away for a bit. So I just got in my car once and went to Italy. And, I, and I'm one of these people who doesn't really need to plan so much. I'll just quite happily show up somewhere. Air, you know, air, at that time it was less Airbnb. It was more you just book a hotel. Didn't really care where I stayed. Um, the trip machine and I did together was obviously required much more planning in terms of, you know, when you yeah. Because I'm a guy who can literally drive 10 hours through and stop off for petrol only. Oh, really? I, I mean, I've, I've done, funny enough, my first road trip I did to Italy, I had booked a fixed ticket with Eurotunnel on the way back. And basically, if you miss your time, I think you have an hour past and an hour before to get there. And if you miss those, you'll buy a new ticket. And as I was coming back from her wedding... I realized that I was driving through Modena and I didn't realize that I'd forgotten that the, the Ferrari Museum was there. So I stupidly decided, I said, you know what, I've got a little bit of time. Let me just go to the Ferrari Museum. So I went to the museum, ended up being there two hours later than I expected to be. Oh, I had panic from Modena to Calais. I had to be there and I was like, I am going to have to drive like a maniac to get there. And I actually drove that entire journey. I drove 12 hours through and through. Um, so you really? just stopping for petrol and a little bit of bite to eat. Yeah, made. I mean, I made it with with ten minutes to spare before checking. What should have been a fourteen hour trip took about twelve hours, but it was. I mean, it was. And you can only do something like that when you're on your own because you know you, you're responsible for your own stupidity to a certain degree. But you know, that was that was that was pretty epic. But logistically, it was kind of it's kind of easy as long as you're easy going. I think with a road trip, you know what you have yeah to, you have to be open to the spontaneity of doing it. Um, and that's yeah. the important yeah. part is that you know you're not going for that you're not driving for the beauty of the hotel you're going to. 
No. End goal. It's the road. It's the car. That's yeah. It. Yeah. If your end goal is I'm driving there because I'm really looking forward to staying in this fantastic hotel, we don't want to take a get plane. You just stay in a fantastic hotel, but you have to be prepared to, like, a couple of the places that we found in some of our journeys, we, um, we didn't even know we were going to stop over there. But you just happen to be driving through, and when you're driving through, you suddenly think, oh my God, this area is beautiful, and it won't come up yeah. with any yeah. tourist maps yeah. or anything like that. So I think with, with that, I would, my suggestion, especially if you're going to do somewhere like Europe, is um, book your Euro channel of when you're going and when you're coming back. Have a vague idea, at least, of the places you kind of want to stop off so you can get some rest, because it is important not to drive tired, of course. But enjoy it. And kind of just and, and sort of and go with the flow. Don't get hung up on I've got to be here. I've got to be here. I've got to be here. Uh, take some chances. Take some risks. And you know, when you get tired, find a hotel, find a B and B, crash out for a few hours, and go again. Yeah, but that's how you find the best stuff. I mean, like you know, when you start planning it too much, you you, you miss out on this stuff which doesn't appear on Booking.com yeah, or yeah. Advisor or whatever. But it is different. It is different when you. I mean, I went with my brother a few years ago to America, uh, West Coast, LA to San Fran phenomenal um but because it was it was a boys thing all we thought about was the ford mustang convertible get in drive we had like half a suitcase each right so yeah. we, we could afford to have this because in the mustang the the roof takes up pretty much the entire boot um so uh it's and, and even even when the when the roof is up it's you've still got a small boot so there's just nothing in terms of space wise but when you're a guy, you know, you can you can do stuff like that and you can but when you but it's funny because the wife and I are now planning a trip to America and we're gonna do a road trip, similar sort of thing. But I'm thinking about things like hotels and you know, get what what fly we're gonna to get to where and really planning in a lot more detail than I I, I possibly would. But it's understandable because the thing is yeah. also, you know, if you care about the other person you're with. Um, you know, it's funny you talk about the luggage piece, it was my first trip that I did to Italy, I had a, I had a Z4, and it was the, um, it, I forgot what it was, it was 2005 um, Z4, so the one with the, the one with the soft top, and you know, but yeah. you know, again, three leagues that really, really enjoyed, it was really beautiful, but you know what, I did that trip by myself, and I had like one hold all, and the suit bag that I had for the wedding that I was going to, but other than that, nothing at all. That is crazy. When you did, when Sheen and I did the first trip together... I mean, back seats in the M4 covered. And obviously, again, when the roof goes down, you lose some of the boot space. Back seat fully covered. Boot fully covered. <laughs> and I'm like, no wonder the car's not going fast. It's loaded with luggage. I mean, how is this possible? But no, it's, you know, I think you're right. It, it depends on, it's very, very different depending on what you're going for. If you're going for the road and the journey, then you know what? Try and take it as, try and take it as ad hoc as you can. It's, it's probably the best way of doing it. The nice how do you pick? How do you pick where you go in terms of like, do, do you just, 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 just get a map and say, we're going to go here? Is, is, is that how it works or do you kind of do No, I've got to say, you know what, but I, I, in that respect, I wish I wish I could, I wish I could pretend I had the imagination to say I'm going to go here and go there. Um, on all three occasions that I did it, I, I, I got lucky in all three. So the first occasion was um, one of my best friends was getting married and she was marrying a, a, you know, an Italian guy and they were getting married down in Marquette, which is in the south of, south of Italy. Um, and by, by sheer fluke, I had not booked my tickets to fly on time um, and usual, usual me story. And eventually when I was looking at the tickets, obviously a week before I'm supposed to travel, the prices on the tickets were so utterly, utterly ridiculous by that stage. In the middle of August, 
Um, July or August, last night, maybe about July or August. And do you know what? And I was like, I'm not paying these prices. So, so you drove? But yeah, so at the drop of a hat, I just booked a Eurostar. Uh, in fact, I booked a ferry, which was £39 return, if, I, if, I missed, if I'm correct, right? My God. I just drove down. And I had to be there in sort of within 48 hours. So I drove, 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 drove through the night, through the day. That is crazy. The wedding in time, yeah. Blimey. The second time we, again, it was, we went down to Sicily because Gina's friends were going to be there. Um, and also the third time was when, you know, when I was going to get married. But I've always loved the roads in Italy. I think that's, you know, the, the roads are just so beautiful. I also think is the people are great. The food is amazing. Um, the culture is just really, really lovely. The people are just really, really nice. I've just always really liked that. But don't get me wrong, there's the big other side of it that I haven't done, which, you know, which you were talking about what you're doing, is I also want to do the, you know, the muscle car American piece. Yeah. So there's also yeah. another element to that. So, yeah, I got kind of lucky in terms of choices. Um, do, you, do you find it therapeutic driving? Yeah, do, you, like, yeah. do you ever think, you know what, I'm so stressed, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for a drive? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm definitely one of those people who I... Whenever things, I mean, it was always my comfort place, um, you know, and, and, and life's not always great and, and, you know, there are always challenges and things that crop up, but I always used to find that when, sometimes in my life when things got tough, my, my, my solace and my comfort would be the car. Um, I would get in the car and go and have a drive and, you know, you turn your music up as loud as you wanted to, whatever it is that you were feeling in that moment and you literally just, you know, floor, open road, um, you and the car. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are probably also times where, you know, you have zero destination, you don't really know where you're going. Um, but I almost sometimes used to say to myself that you, you, you do that without any hint of where you're going because if at some point through that journey, something in you just decides to turn around and come back, then that means that you're not ready to, it's, it's not that bad. Whatever it is you're going through, it's just, it's not that bad because you, you make a conscious decision to come back home. Yeah. You know, at the point at which you keep driving, you keep driving, you keep driving, and there's nothing that turns you around to go home again, that's the point at which you probably want to worry a little bit more about, kind of, you know, where your head's at. But, I mean, even, even work, it's, it's, I used to love, you know, my drive home from work would be my, it's my thinking time. It's my, so true. My so true. Time. And, you know, I think I said this to you when we spoke before that, Lockdown was hard, really hard on that basis because I lost my processing time, like two and from one yeah. in the morning. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I find it, I mean, it's probably for me the most therapeutic thing in the world, just just being in being in the car. And um, not when it's in traffic, of course, but that's Yeah, well, yeah. No, but it's, it's so true because I, I used to drive from Leicester to Nottingham every single day and it was like six in the morning. It was still pretty dark. Yeah. But I remember like that, that hour drive, of, it, was, it was brilliant. And then... And then 5 p.m., 5.30 p.m. to head back. And again, you know, being the UK, being winter, it's, it's dark again. So it's like, you know, but that, that time was golden. And it was, um, it, it's amazing how much clarity you kind of, and, 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 and context, you know, you, you begin to realise that this massive problem, it's not, it, it's not really that big in the whole grand scheme of things. I've still got a car, I've still got health, I've still got food, I've still got shelter. And I've still got a wife to go back home to, so it's it's actually not yeah. not too bad. No, but it's but you know what I think it's important. I mean, everyone has their own kind of, I guess, their own way of doing doing that sort of calibration. But you know, I know quite a few people who who are in the same place where driving for some reason finds that just just provides them that kind of that sort of that comfort. Um, you know, and I guess maybe it's also the fact that you know when you're driving, you are away from your phone, you're away from 
yeah. you're away, away from books. It literally is just your focus is just on that one thing. Um, and it gives you, yeah, it gives you the time to, to just, to, just, to, just to process and just think about things a little bit. Um, in some ways, it also gives you a little bit of an opportunity to feel your emotion in a slightly different place that, you know, yeah. you look back on it now and you think sometimes if you're feeling, and sometimes when you're too emotional, it's probably not a good idea to get in the car, but you know, you still, you look back and realize that you did it sometimes where if you're feeling sad and you're feeling down, you'll, you'll, you'll take the car out because you just want to poot along the motorway and just sit in the slow lane and just drive and, you know, see the open road. And sometimes when you're feeling stressed or you're feeling angry or you're, or you're annoyed about something, you might get into that moment where you just, you know, pedal to the, you know, pedal to the metal and just want to just let it out a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, not, not advising that people should do that by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but, but you do, it's, it's, it, it is, everyone finds something. And for me, and, and certainly it sounds like for you as well, it was, yeah, cars. Um, yeah, definitely. I, also, I think sometimes, get... sometimes I can't, sometimes also weirdly enough with lockdown, I can't calibrate when I've not actually been in the car. So if I've not been in the car for three or four days, sometimes I'll yeah. go for a bit of drive. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what's scary. And I'm, I'm not sure if you, if you've been through this, but you're driving and, um, and it's not unsafe, but you, you, you get to your destination safely. You're fine, but you can't remember anything about the actual drive. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, like I'm, I'm not joking. There's been times that I've, I've been driving along and I get, I get to my end place and it's been like half an hour, 40 minutes. And I'm like, I can't remember a thing because I was so deep in my, in my head, you know? Yeah, no, look, it, I mean, it happens. It happens a lot of the time um, for me. I, I completely relate to where you're coming from. Um, and I, sometimes it's not a bad thing. Um, and, you know, also it's, you know, if you go, I suppose for me, if I go slightly deeper into it, you know, I, I think about, again, it probably takes you back a little bit to childhood, that the journeys from work to home are so important to recalibrate because, you know, again, in, in, in my in my day, there was a big thing about your dad would bring work home. You know, if you'd had a bad day at work, you'd, you'd know about it. You know, if you'd had a good day at work, maybe you'd know about it. Um, but it also, I guess, maybe that became the thing when you're looking at the things that you want to be better at or you want to do better at or you want to you know, improve that. Um, for me, it was always my, my point of clearing. So if I've had a bad day at work, it's like, you know what, clear it out. Clear yeah. it out in that time. Whereas, you know what, during lockdown, that's that's if you have a bad day at work, the minute you come out of your home office, you're in your house. There's no opportunity to leave behind the bad day at work that you've had. So you've got to find yeah. another way of doing it. And that is... And it's hard now. Yeah. And it's, it's hard now because, because now we're all working home. Yeah. You know, there's no real switching off. And I, I know, I know when, when we spoke a few weeks ago, things have changed because now it's like people are working. I mean, in your case, you're working in your living room, I think, or wherever it was in, yeah, your, in your old. Just, yeah, I was working just outside my living room in the old flat. Thankfully, here we've got more space. So now there's a proper office space. But yeah, it was zero separation. Yeah. In, in the old places, you, you, just, you couldn't separate work from home because you're working and living in exactly the same space. And it all just becomes, all becomes one. Um, you know, the first six months, like, to be fair, you know, I think Sheena put me, I had to sort of almost just take me aside and say, look, we, we, you can't live like this because without realizing it, you are working 14, 16, 17. You're basically working every moment that you are working because yeah. your eyes are focused on your laptop somewhere in your house or somewhere in your room. Um, you don't take a lunch break, so you are consistently there. When you're watching TV, your laptop is with you, so you're still working. And, you know, and, and, and she was right to do that. She was like, look, you're just going to burn out. You, know, you look at how many people complain of, 
exhaustion that they felt from last year, more so than they've ever felt before, when people are actually should arguably be less stressed because there's no travel, there's work from home, everything else, but always on mentality. We're, you know, we're always on, and yeah, people find simple pleasures in, in what they do. And, and, and yeah, and for me, it's yeah, it's, for me, it's getting by another day. It's going to be crazy. It's so true, man. So true. Right, I've got a bit of a surprise actually because um, we're going to play. Well, not play, but I'm going to I'm going to hold up some cards. Right, I'm gonna, oh, we're going to oh, end oh. things off. We're going to end things off by testing, testing Ali's knowledge. Oh dear! Oh, right. God, this is gonna, here we go. I'm going to embarrass myself now, aren't I? <laughs> here we go. Here we go. So I'm going to hold up ten to, uh, a a card, which will have a picture of a car, of a of a of a car on. And uh, I'm going to ask for a stat. Could either be brake horsepower, top speed. Um, it could either be yeah, brake horsepower, top speed, engine size, or year launched. All right. It's like top trumps. This is my just incidentally. This is my favourite game as a kid was top trumps. So if this is oh, you're this, kidding. This is, all right. I've got to this where to get those from because I definitely want dark, oh, brilliant game. This. I actually played this with a with a good friend of mine virtually, yeah. and um, it was it was tricky playing it virtually because you can't you can't be swap the card like you can't right. Uh, so we had a we had a different way of doing it, which was he had his deck of cards, I had mine, and we just kind of played it side by side. But um, on this occasion, I, I sort of realised more. I was like, man, you know what? Let's let's test you out, man. Let's do this. All right, let's so, give it a shot. Let's see if I don't embarrass right. myself too much. <laughs> So we're going to go for uh, we'll go for ten cards, um, and let's see how many how many you get right. Um, I think actually, you know what? Let, let's keep it simple. Break horsepower, okay. just break horsepower. Let's give it a try. Right, first one. Maserati, Gran Turismo. Oh, good question. And I'll tell you what. To make it a bit more easier, I'll give you like a. A fifty brake horsepower leeway. Fifty? How does that make? Yeah, mate. <laughs> mate, you've got an M4, mate. You're fine. Don't worry, man. Let's go. Maserati Gran Turismo. Let's go. I'm gonna go with for which year Gran Turismo are we talking about? Uh, the 2007. 2007. I'm gonna go with 440. Mate, 454. Four. Not bad. There we go. Mate, not bad, man. Not bad. Oh, thank God I didn't embarrass myself on the first question. That would have been <laughs> goes downhill from here, I'm okay now. I'm good. <laughs> that was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. All right, here we go. We're going to go with Jaguar F-Type. Uh, which one? Uh, this is the uh, 2013, 2013 launch. The 5-litre V8 or the 3-litre uh, turbo? This is the 3-litre. Right, so this Three liter is I'm gonna go with three sixty. Not bad, not bad. Three eighty. Oh, all right. You know what? You're not bad, man. You're pretty good. Yeah, wait, wait till you pick something I haven't got a clue about. <laughs> I tell you what. Okay, let's um, let's let's have a look here. Right, let's do a little shuffle. Right, next one. Aha, okay, here we go. Uh, Ford Mustang. Oh, which year? 
So this this deck is a bit weird in the sense that because uh, I, I played this a few weeks ago with a good friend of mine, and as a as a caveat, this is um, this is a very 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 high powered one. This is like. This is yeah, Shelby, the, the Shelby, same Shelby version, or just, or is it standard? So it's not Shelby Mustang. It's 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 just a it's a five liter V eight Mustang. Five yeah. Well, this is this thing. It's a five point eight liter. Okay. Uh, so it's it's very very powerful. Um, I, I don't think it's the Shelby one, but it's certainly a pretty pretty hefty one. So five point eight. I would say be generous with your uh, with your choice. So I, if we're talking five point eight. I'm probably going to go, and it's an American muscle car, and they always do great horsepower, but bad speed. Um, 590. Close. This is 662. Six, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they do all the horsepower, but, you know, they, they, they just don't... They they can't, can't, yeah, just a, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's a big, fat kid with a lot of um, calm. But, uh, <laughs> it's one way of looking at it, yeah. Uh, all right, let's do this. Gonna go with oh, okay, it's gonna be cool. The Nissan GTR. Oh, right. So I do know this. I should know this because I looked at it before I bought my one. So this is. Does it have the year on it? Yeah, this is a 2007. Right, 2007 GTR when it first came out. I think when it first came out, it was 480-ish. Ooh, no. are you sure? I'm, I'm, I'm not, to be honest. I'm trying to figure It might have been lower than that. You know what? I'm going to go lower because it's 2007. I think it was really fast. I would advise you to go higher. Yeah, it's going to be 520-ish then, isn't it? 600. Really? Wow. When it first came out, yeah. I didn't realise it was that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, I always actually. Funny enough, I always thought Nissan did a lot of that. Yeah, probably makes sense. That's wow. That's a lot. Yeah, you know what? I what always shocked me was how, and not in a not in a crazy way, but it was cheap. Like, yeah. I mean, you you paid fifty grand for a car that could do six hundred brake horsepower, and it goes. Yeah. Always yeah. shocked me. I was like, it was amazing. Cool. I mean, funny enough, I, I went to see one before I bought my own four. Um, and it's just oh, were you, probably. Were you interested in 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 getting one? Yeah, I almost got one. Before, yeah, before I got this, and, and I've got to say, I mean, I, I mean, it's just a phenomenal piece of kit. Uh, I still weirdly enough, I still kept the video of the um, of the little test drive that I did on it before I before I bought my car because I was just so just so amazed by. It. I mean, as a piece of engineering, not being yeah. from a, from, a, from a, um, an outside looking in piece, it's just it's phenomenal, really, really phenomenal. I mean, the engine sound is great. Um, the the, 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 the the speed of it, I mean, it literally is like it launches like a rocket ship. Um, it's it's ferocious, absolutely ferocious. But yeah, it's, it's massive. Um, Sixteen, I think, when I looked. Yes. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Top half. All right, here we go. This this gonna be good. Let's go for a bit of an Italianness. Ferrari La Ferrari. Oh God. Ferrari La Ferrari. Wow. I'm going to go with 780. Mate, are you for real? 789? No way. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. That's wicked. Brilliant. 
the only, do you know what? The only reason that came to mind was I remember Ferrari making a big deal when the Bugatti was released and it was like, oh, we're over a thousand horsepower, we're over a thousand horsepower. And Ferrari basically came along and said, we're Italians, we'll give you the same speed, but for less horsepower, it's fine. You know, we know how to engineer better than you go away. So I, can't, I just, I don't know why that's, well, that, that was a fluke. That's a total fluke. Maybe it would be somewhere. That was pretty good. All right, here we go. This one, ooh, this might be tricky, actually. Porsche 959. I used to love that car. I used to actually love that. The big spoiler on the back is just amazing. Yeah. Porsche 959 would have been 90s car, so... Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with 390. Quite a way off. Four, four. Ah, pretty close. Four, four, four. Okay, not bad. Not bad. That was a beautiful car. There was a guy, funny enough, there was a guy in our mosque who used to have one who, who used to come in that in a black one. And it just, honestly, it was just so pretty. I know a lot, it was one of those love it or hate it cars. I used to, yeah. it was so pretty in those days. Really, really amazing car. What's your thoughts on, 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 on new Porsches? I just, I just, I just find that they look too identical. Maybe yeah. just me being a bit, a bit boring, but I, I don't know. I just find that they're a bit too bland. The thing is about Porsche is that I, I've always been in your camp. Absolutely always been in your camp. I've been like, they just kind of just look a bit, bit samey. Um, and I mean, from a car perspective, they're amazing. I've got to say the recent shape that's been released is probably the only shape that I've looked at and thought, okay, do you know what? We're now, we're now getting to something that is looking slightly more supercar-esque. You know, the, the, the tail end of the car with the LED light that runs right across it is fantastic. They've flared out the back a little bit. Just looks a bit more beefy. But I'm with you. It doesn't it's I don't know, I find they lack a little bit of um personality. I think it's probably it. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the um Yeah, they've got the other is it the I can't remember what's one the, the the hybrid, the the, the super girl hybrid Porsche. Yeah, yeah. That's Really lovely car. Of course, I mean, the one that I, I'm going to say I do like is the Targa. Um, the Targa, I just, I find the mechanism on the way the Targa top works, which is just really, really cool. It's not a full convertible, so you still get that kind of that slightly hard top feel of a pure, pure like a pure car. Um, yeah. yeah. I haven't, I'll be honest with you, on the take, and I haven't fully embraced the idea of electric just yet. I just haven't quite. What is it? Yeah, I've just, I've, you know, I'm probably... I'm going to make myself make myself sound like a little bit of a dinosaur now, but I'm still I'm still hanging on with dear life to that true petrol feel. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. The sound, the feel. Yeah, yeah. Just the guts and glory of, of the sound of, of the car, and and yet don't get me wrong, it annoys me more than anything when I pull up next to traffic lights and a Tesla, knowing that this little go kart can take off faster than me, and it's really frustrating. But I I, I give myself. Um, I give myself the comfort in knowing that mine sounds better when it's doing it. That's what I mean. <laughs> At least I can hear mine. It doesn't sound like a skateboard. We're going to go with the Lexus LFA. Oh, Lexus LFA. This was, this was, this was a big number, actually. I think um, I love that car, by the way. It's a beautiful, beautiful car. Uh, I love it. I love it. Lexus LFA, uh, you know what? Seven, 720s. Generous. Uh, yeah, so. Five by oh, two. Wow. Should have, should have known that a little bit from when the car was developed. But yeah, I love that car. Really beautiful car. It was one of Jeremy Clarkson's favourite cars. Oh, wasn't it? I think he raved 
Well, yeah, because, I mean, I, I remember seeing this. I was like, how can he think he would like Lexa? I, I thought he'd be so against the idea that he loved it. And that, that says something, yeah, you know, he's easy. Really, I mean, it was also, it was just really special looking as well. They did so well with the lines and so well with what they And they're only one. It's, it's the only performance... Yeah. Can't really, to be honest. Because um, they can do good performance sequences, you know, Japanese. They're absolutely done. Oh, this should be good. Uh, Lamborghini, Uh Standard one, the SV. Not, not the SVJ. Lamborghini, Aventador is. I should know this because it is a car that I love. But I'm not sure. I'm again. I'm going to go with. 690. Can you see it? No. A little bit higher? 690. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is unreal, man. I'm surprised at that. I just, I don't know. I I love that car too. That's a beautiful car. Although I still still maintain, I think my favorite Kuntash of all times is is still the Kuntash, um, which is... You know what? That was a beautiful car. No one talks about it enough. It's... The car for me, it was, you know, it was what, that, in fact, in my day growing up, it was, the three, on, on my wall, it was kind of like, I had the Countach and the 300 SL Golden. You know, those were the two, if I could have like a two-car garage at that stage, you know, it was, which probably was symptomatic of the fact that I wasn't going to have kids, because that's the worst two-car garage if you want to have children, but yeah, I love the Countach, it's just so stunning, um, so kind of... Um, so 80s excess, like that world of kind of excess of Wall Street. Yeah. Kind of stuff. And yeah, the 300 SL Goldman was always the doors. It was just always the... It was just yeah. beautiful. I mean, it, it would probably break down every like 20 miles, but yeah. it's all part of the yeah, problem. No one, no one cares. It's just, it's <laughs> no one cares. No one cares whether it ran or not. Uh, Bugatti Veyron. Uh, I'm going to get this one wrong because I'm... I'm going to go with 1,010, but I'm, I might be, I think it might be lower than that. So this, I'll give you a bit, a bit of a clue. This is the um, the more powerful one. Oh, okay. All right. In which case, 1150. Not bad. Uh, 1,200. Oh. Not bad, not bad. Right. Last one. Last one. Uh, oh, this should be interesting. The Jaguar XJ220. Oh, XJ220. That was a beast of a car, that one. Ah, uh, 2000. Um, it was F. It was around F40 time. And the F40 was about... Uh, 290. So I think this is some kind of... It could be some kind of souped up one. This is yeah, this is saying it's yeah. This 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 might be a very different one. This is this is saying five hundred. Oh, you, listen, you're being kind to me. It may well have been. I, I I've got to say I was trying, um, I was trying to badge it up with the F forty and stuff like that, but actually makes perfect sense. I wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't have had a clue. That's not bad. That's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight out of ten. Well, not, I do you know what I thought I would, I would be lucky if I got one. Not bad, man. Mate, thank you so much for your time and I appreciate it, man. No, not at all. Look, it's, it's honestly, it's been a real, real pleasure. Really, really enjoyed it. And thank you for having me. And, you know, great stuff for what you're doing. I love it. Absolutely love it. Really good. Not at all, man. Speak to you soon, bro. Thank you very much, bro. Take care. Take care.
Take care. Take care.